Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel any time. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes. I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs, the moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. We've all heard the expression, don't drink the Kool-Aid, which means don't just go blindly along with the crowd. Think for yourself. But do you know where that term comes from? The 1978 Jonestown Massacre, where more than 900 Americans all drank a Kool-Aid-like beverage. It wasn't actually Kool-Aid. Laced with poisonous cyanide. 900 people. That's everybody in this room multiplied by three. 900 people. It was the biggest mass murder-suicide in modern history, and it was masterminded by this man, Jim Jones, the leader of the People's Temple. Here's how it all began. In 1956, Jim Jones was a young and dynamic preacher with a big voice and a radical message for the times, racial equality. I represent divine principle, total equality, a society where people own all things in common, where there is no rich or poor, where there are no races. Jones created his own church in Indiana and called it the People's Temple. Practicing what he preached, Jones and his wife, Marceline, had what they called a rainbow family. We were called the Rainbow Family because out of the seven kids that we had, we had African-American, we had two Korean-Americans from Seoul, Korea, and then we had homemade, a natural son. In 1965, Jim Jones moved his family and the People's Temple to the progressive state of California. It was the turbulent 60s, and the People's Temple offered what many were seeking. What he spoke about were things that were in our hearts. The government was not taking care of the people. There were too many poor people out there. There were poor children. When I joined People's Temple in the spring of 1966, there were exactly 81 members. Five years later, 
an extended family of 80 people had become an organization of thousands. As the movement grew, so did Reverend Jones's demands of his followers. They signed over their paychecks, life savings, and even their homes. But in the 70s, as Jim Jones grew more powerful, he claimed he could miraculously heal the sick. Now, is the pain gone? A darker side of Jim Jones was emerging, and rumors of sexual and physical abuse at the People's Temple began to spread. I was in a lot of the meetings where people were spanked or beaten, and I, I was slapped once also in a, in a public meeting. Threatened by growing media and government scrutiny, Jones sent an advance team to the jungles of Guyana, South America, to build what would be their utopia, Jonestown. So in 1977, with Jonestown almost complete, Jim Jones ordered his followers to move with him to Guyana. Nearly 1,000 people dropped everything and moved to South America, where they believed heaven on earth awaited them. We all wanted to go. I wanted to go. It looked like, like freedom. Jonestown was a well-planned community with a clinic, school, and communal kitchen. Flour, rice, black-eyed peas, Kool-Aid. But as Jonestown flourished, their leader's behavior grew increasingly bizarre. In Jonestown, there was a speaker system, and only Jim spoke on it. And it went 24 hours a day, and he would tape himself. So in the middle of the night, all through the night, his voice was talking to you. Give us our liberty, or give us our death. Over the summer of 1978, all of us noticed that Jim was, seemed to be getting sicker. It was widely rumored that Jim was abusing drugs, amphetamines, Percodan, and even heroin. His harangues over the loudspeaker were getting more and more frantic and really just sounding more and more insane. We choose our death, and no one chooses it for us. Back in the States, former church members began complaining that Jones was holding their loved ones against their will. So California Congressman Leo Ryan traveled to Jonestown with a handful of reporters to investigate the allegations. The People's Temple welcomed him with a party. I think that all of you know that I'm here to find out more about their operation here. But I can tell you right now, there are some people here who believe that this is the best thing that ever happened in their whole life. But later that evening, a Jonestown resident passed a note to one of the reporters saying he was being held against his will. The next morning, more and more defectors came forward. Now, do I both understand you say that you both want to leave Jonestown on this date, November 18, 1978? Though Jim Jones appeared calm before the cameras, behind the scenes, he had ordered what he called his avenging angels to take action. They ambushed the congressman and his crew at the airstrip. Congressman Ryan and four others were killed in the shootout. 
Back at Jonestown, Jim Jones called an emergency meeting. The Congress is dead. You think they're going to allow us to get by with this? If we can't live in peace, we'll let's die in peace. Jones presented to his followers a large metal vat filled with a great drink laced with cyanide. First, mothers were ordered to feed the deadly potion to their babies, then drink it themselves. Die with respect, die with a degree of dignity. Mother, 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 please. Sit down your life with your child. Tim Carter is one of only seven who survived the mass suicide at Jonestown. I looked to my right, then I saw my wife with our son in her arms and poison being injected into his mouth. My son was dead and he was frothing at the mouth. My wife died in my arms and my dead baby son was in her arms and I held her and said, I love you, I love you, because that's all I could say. It was like... Tied in my arms, man. Jim Jones Jr. also lost his family that day. In the mass suicide, I lost my wife, uh, my unborn child, my mother and father. Quickly, 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 quickly. It still seems unbelievable. 909 people, including nearly 300 children died a painful death at Jonestown. Another five people were shot and killed at the airstrip. They were coming, taking like newborn babies out of the mother's arms. Quickly, 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 quickly. Where's the vat, the vat, the vat? Right here so the adults can begin. We were just slaughtered. I heard slaughtered. There was nothing dignified about it. It was just senseless waste. Senseless waste and death. Those were two eyewitnesses who survived the Jonestown massacre. For those of you who are too young or who might not remember, the Reverend Jim Jones ordered more than 900 of his followers to drink a poison-laced grape beverage, making it the biggest mass murder-suicide in history. Jim Jones his wife, Marceline, two of their children, and five of their grandchildren died that day. Three of their sons were spared. Here is how. Jim Jones Jr. remembers it. On November 18, 1978, I was in Georgetown, Guyana, with the basketball team. That is the day that my father radioed to me that they were visiting Ms. Frazier, which was code for committing suicide. Jim and his two brothers were 150 miles away from Jonestown playing in a basketball tournament when he answered his father's shocking call. I couldn't believe it when he told me that this is what he planned to do. I argued with him. I said, can't there, isn't there another way? Can't we do something else? My father told us to, to find knives, piano wire, poison if we were able to find it and commit suicide. When I received those instructions to kill myself, 
I didn't believe it. I couldn't understand it. I was concerned about my loved ones, my family, my wife. I didn't know if they would drink the Kool-Aid. Well, at the time of the massacre, Jim Jones Jr. was 18. When you heard, obviously, refused your father's command to kill yourself. Yes. And you tried to talk him out of it. And then you went and told whom? Well, we went to the US Embassy and tried to find out what was going on. We had gotten the report uh, that we were, they were going to commit Ms. Frazier, which is the code word for committing murder. Because had he had those practice, had he had practice runs yes, before? They, you know, in, in Jonestown prior, they had practice drills of suicide. And when I say practice drills of suicide, it was test of loyalty. People would line up and, you know, pledge their life to the cause. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was the cause? Well the, well, the cause was the non-isms. Non-isms. Yeah, the non-isms. When, when I say non-isms, non-racism, non-sexism, mm -hmm. non-ageism. The class system of coming out of the 60s and 70s, we had this a white versus black. We yeah. had this, we had this haves and have-nots. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what people's temple really was. was so he was trying to create a, a, a utopian society yeah. Yeah. where if you come with me, yes. you will not be discriminated against. You will not have to suffer because you're poor. You won't have to, you know, we're going to have the perfect society. Yeah. We're going to create a new world. We're going to create a new world. Yeah. And that's what people believe. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I believe. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Mm -hmm. Were these smart people, educated people? We had a whole gamut. Okay. Um, doctors, lawyers, teachers. But we also had another gamut. We had, I think people simple was like almost 70% African-American. Mm -hmm. And... What a vessel for African-Americans at that time. But were there doctors and lawyers who were African-American yes. at the time? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. The common theme were it was people wanted to make a difference. When were you adopted by Jim Jones? Ten weeks old. Ten, Ten weeks, weeks old in Indiana. I, I heard you were the first black kid ever adopted by a white yeah, family. Yeah. Uh, as the story goes, I was the first African-American mm -hmm. child adopted by a Caucasian family of state of Indiana. Look at you. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a long time over. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So this was your father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I loved him as, as a son. I loved my father. I took great pride in being a son. Mm. Was it difficult being the first black kid adopted by a white family? Or was it difficult being... I didn't being, know. You didn't know? No. You didn't know you were black? Well, no. Actually, <laughs> Oprah, I didn't. Okay, th that's what it, I'm asking. Uh, no, no, I didn't because I had Koreans in the family. Mm -hmm. I just thought I had better tan. Mm -hmm. I really thought... Really? Yeah, because when you have Koreans in your family, they're a little, little, they're a little darker than white, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had a blonde-haired, blue-eyed brother. I had homemade, the natural son. Mm -hmm. 
I remember going to San Francisco. Is that what y'all called him, homemade? Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to San Francisco and seeing other African Americans and thinking that was my biological family. Really? Because because that was, it, I mean, there was no race. In uh huh. There was no race in you. It, you were Jimmy, and, Steve, or Lou, or. Whoever. And that's why people were coming to the church yes. because you could be a part of something. We that were wasn't, the, yeah. we were a rainbow family. Okay. He had gotten to the place that even his voice was becoming slurred. Every day it was getting worse and worse. The United States is calling for the removal of all blacks and Indians, so is England. We heard people on the tape say, during the last year you could see that Jim Jones was becoming more and more detached and more crazy, literally. Could you see that as his son? You know, I probably was one of the last true believers. So you couldn't see the craziness? I, did, I, didn't, I didn't want to see it, Oprah. I, mm -hmm. I got to be honest. I didn't want to see it. I, I always thought the end justifies the means. Okay. So I heard, too, that he was having multiple affairs with mistresses and had many mistresses. And... Yes. Uh, this went on for years prior to Jonestown. Mm -hmm. I remember as a young child in my early teens going on vacations and going a week with a mistress with my brother's and then my mother coming for the second week. Was your mother aware? Yes, she was. She was. How did you justify that in your head? Well, I didn't justify it, but what I was told is people needed my father. Mm -hmm. The women that he was with yeah, needed him. needed him. And, and so, so you were resentful of that. You were resentful of how it, it, it affected your family, but then you also felt, you know, he, he has to do this for the people. Mm -hmm. You know, we're building a new world, mm -hmm. you know. So, it's, it's interesting to say, but I drank the Kool-Aid before it was even served. Yeah, because you're indoctrinated exactly. by this That man. was my bubble. Yes, that was your bubble. Yeah. So what was it? This is what none of us could understand at the time and still today can't answer. Why would 900 people agree to do that? Well, Oprah, I, I, I can't answer that question except I can just explain it to you, the mindset. There's 900 people, they had been told that Congressman had been shot, that they, they had been told, if you listen to the tapes, people were going to come in and take their children away. They were going to separate. They were going to invade our community. My father's words were, we needed to lay down our lives in protest. But what he does, very manipulative, he has the children ingest the cyanide first. And Oprah, I mean, I have three boys. And I got to tell you, if I saw my kids dying, why would I want to live? He created that vacuum. When you see the syringes and needles, I don't, I don't think people, everybody lined up. You know? So some people were forced against their will, I is what you're so. saying. I, I, and weren't there guards there to shoot people if they yeah. didn't drink the Kool-Aid? Yeah. 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 So I, your wife and your unborn child died that day. Wife, unborn child, brother and sister, their children, and then, and then my mother and father, yeah. Jim and Marshall. Did you want to not live? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I mean, think you wouldn't. I, no, I mean, there was, to me, there was no reason to go forward. Yeah. I came back to the States. And why didn't you change your name? Well, <laughs> I did. I mm -hmm. did. I did. Mm -hmm. I went by James Jones, mm -hmm. very common, mm -hmm. for many years. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until about 15 years later, I'd gone to school and worked hard, and I worked up my, my way to be a director of a cardiopulmonary department at the hospital. Because of my, the acronyms behind my name, they had to shorten James, mm -hmm. and they put Jim. So I walk up to my 
great new job as being a director of a department, and I see Jim Jones. It was at that moment, Oprah, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I realized that's who I am. Now, I'm Jim Jones, Jr. I am a part of an organization that tried to build a new world. Mm -hmm. I mean, 99 people died, Oprah, and I, and I miss them every day. But I also recognize that they tried. They tried something. They failed horrifically. Mm -hmm. But they tried, and, and, and out of that, I took a lot, a lot of pride to realize that's who, I'm Jim Jones Jr., I can't, I can't hide from that. So you don't hate your father? You know, I, no, I don't. You know, I, I, I've forgiven him. You've forgiven him? Yeah, and, and I think out Was of that- Was he mentally ill? Yes, and that's where I forgive him. I think when you look at the changes in him and what has happened. Was it mentally people. ill or did he, was he on drugs? Was he taking I think, I, I think it's almost like, like a, a, a cocktail. It, the mental illness was exacerbated by the drug abuse and the absolute power to where, where no one challenged him. Mm -hmm. You put that cocktail together and the mind can spiral out of control and that's what Jim Jones did. He spiraled out of control and self-destructed. And by, by his self-destruction, he took 900 people with him. I went back to Jonestown um, about the 20th anniversary, and I took my sons with me. The reason why I did that is I wanted them to walk the ground of Jonestown, to understand what it is to stand in Jonestown. I knew they would have their own impression, and they, they would hear their own stories of Jonestown, but I wanted to give them a foundation of what kind of world was trying to be created there. It wasn't until I actually returned to Jonestown looking for an answer, looking for the why, why it happened, what caused it, uh, why did I survive? And when I got there, the only thing I could find was the tub, the tin tub that the vat of Kool-Aid was stored in. There it is. And grass had grown over it. And when I found that, I knew there weren't any answers to why, that more of how can I move on with my life? So if you'd been in Jonestown on that day, do you think you would have You know, Oprah, I've asked that question. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my wife, my mother, my family, mm -hmm. who ingested the Kool-Aid, mm -hmm. I cannot say I wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. In respect of, they did it. Well, the other well, thing what, is, what, what choice would you, would you have had? Well, and why wouldn't I, I have lined up also? Because I believe that we were going to be invaded. Well, the point is, when we ask, and still are asking, how do 900 people agree to do that? They had already been brainwashed, as you had already been brainwashed. Yes. And so the fact that you all are practicing suicide raids and were this indoctrinated mm -hmm. before, that's why it was easy to carry out. And as you hear him on the tape, Jim Jones saying, quickly, 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 yeah. quickly, yeah. doing it. Wow. And, and then when the kids die first. And that was a part of the strategy. That was part of the strategy, children yeah. die first. How could I say, well, I don't want to give up my life. Yeah, but it is still, is... I have to tell you, it, and, and I know for every mother here, it's incomprehensible that you would give cyanide to your child. child. Well, Jim escaped the massacre because he was playing in a basketball tournament 150 miles away from Jonestown. And he says, basketball, actually saved his life, twice. I think I hit rock bottom 15 to 18 years after Jonestown. I have, I had found solace in alcoholism. 
I had found solace in drugs, became emotionally unavailable to my family, to my wife, to my children. And it was at the point or at the stage to where she was willing to take that all away from me to protect her children that I realized that the cycle of dysfunction had to stop and I had to move on. To save my family, I stopped drinking, stopped using drugs. And I found something that my son gave me as a gift that we could connect on. And that was basketball. Something that I denied myself because of guilt. And that saved me. So when people say sports saved my life, sports saved my life twice. If I wasn't playing basketball in Georgetown, when the Jonestown event happened, I wouldn't be alive. And 15, 20 years later, if it wasn't for the gift of that, my son and his passion and love for basketball, it wouldn't have brought me back. Today, Jim's oldest son, Rob, is making a name for himself on the basketball court. For years, everywhere I went, the people who knew me knew me as the son of Jim Jones. Now, with great pride and great honor, it's nice to be known as the father of Rob Jones, the basketball player. That's really great. That's really great. Well, as you saw, Jim is married with three sons. So how did your children actually find out about your past? Well, you know, I shared a lot of stories with them about, about their grandfather, mm -hmm. stories of playing ball together or different trips we went on. The most powerful story that Rob told me once was he was walking out of his high school class, and one of his friends came up to him and goes, hey, Rob, we were talking about Jim Jones in our history class. And Rob goes, yeah, that was my grandfather. To him, to him, it's all stories. Well, see, this is amazing to me that there isn't, or what maybe you've already been through this phase, but I would think that there would be such guilt and shame and resentments and all well, of that connected to. You know, Oprah, I think why I want. It would be easy, but that's why this is so interesting yeah. to me. Well, don't y'all think? Because it would be so easy to dismiss the first 17 years of your life yeah. and say, boy, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible person. And move on. And move on yeah. and say, I want to banish that from my life. But you're saying that. You, you know, Oprah, I think what I did with myself and I did with my children is I wanted to embrace it. You wanted uh, to embrace I, it? And when I embrace it, I don't have to hide from it. That's really good. You know what I mean? That's you know, really I, good. I, and I, because of my embracement, my kids don't have a stigma with it. That's really interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. We can learn a lot from you. Well, I... Because everybody has stuff in their past that their people have done in their families or embarrassed about or ashamed of or, or carrying that around. But you are proof that you don't have to let it be the burden to you. Well, it's by the grace of God and a great wife. Yeah, and a great wife. <laughs> a great wife. Listen to your wife, Jim. Yeah, thank you okay. very much. Thank you. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince. Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. 
and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. None of my neighbors here, nobody knows who I am, really. They know what my last name is, and they know that I work hard in the community. But they don't know anything about my background because that's a part of my life that I had to bury. Uh, I like to talk about my brother, the brother I knew. And he wasn't the person that killed anybody. He was kind, he was loving, he was always there to help me. He was an uncle to my children who they dearly loved and dearly remember. Karen's brother was one of the most prolific serial killers of our time, John Wayne Gacy. Anybody under 35 might not remember him, but back in 1978 when he was arrested, it was the grisliest story of the century. He was not only the, one of the craziest, but one of the scariest human beings because he functioned in normal society. At 25 years old, John Wayne Gacy was a family man with a wife and two children. He ran a successful business and was well-respected in his community. But Gacy was hiding a horrific secret. One afternoon, he invited a 15-year-old boy to his home and molested him. In 1968, John Wayne Gacy was convicted of sodomy and received the maximum sentence of 10 years at the state penitentiary. Gacy's wife divorced him, taking their children who he would never see again. While in prison, he was a model prisoner, head cook, even singing in the prison choir. After serving just 18 months of his 10-year sentence, John was released on good behavior. Returning to his hometown of Chicago, he was determined to rebuild his life. He started a contracting business, remarried, and volunteered at charitable events, dressing up as a clown he called Pogo. It was fun being a clown because you could, you, you could be yourself or, or just let yourself go and act a fool. His family believes that when his second marriage failed, something inside Gacy snapped. He began abducting young men and boys, raping and murdering them. Police never suspected anything until 1978, when witnesses reported John Wayne Gacy as the last person to be seen with a missing 15-year-old boy. Investigators confronted John and were shocked when he confessed to tossing five bodies into the Desplaines River. He also drew a map detailing where more than two dozen bodies were buried in a crawl space under his home and beneath his garage. John Wayne Gacy was found guilty of murdering 33 young men and boys. He received the death penalty and was executed by lethal injection in 1994. Karen tells us about growing up as his little sister. This is my favorite photo, and it's of Joanne, my oldest sister, John, and then me. Um, and I was probably about six or seven years old. John and I were best friends, and uh, we just did everything together. John liked mostly things that were probably different from most boys his age. 
He liked gardening and cooking, baking. He wasn't all the old fisherman type or hunter that my dad was. And some of these things bothered my dad, but he wouldn't bring it up until he drank. My father, on many occasions, would call John a sissy, and uh, he wasn't a happy drunk. Uh, sometimes he would turn into a mean drunk. So we had to always be real careful. John felt like he never lived up to dad's expectations. And this went all the way into his adulthood until he married and had a son and daughter. He was arrested about a year and a half later. John was accused of uh, sodomy um, with a minor. Karen says her brother always insisted to his family he was innocent, claiming he was framed. And at that time, I believed him. And I stop and I think sometimes that maybe if we hadn't been so believable, maybe the rest of his life wouldn't have turned out like it did. In 1978, Chicago police found the remains of at least 27 bodies buried beneath John Wayne Gacy's house. To this day, Gacy is one of America's most notorious serial killers, killing 33 young men and boys. His sister Karen visited him fairly regularly before his arrest. Did you ever notice a foul odor or anything suspicious at the house? Well, when they first moved in, there was always this kind of musty smell. It was a real dark type house, and it was always musty smelling. So when he was first arrested, did you believe that he was capable of killing all of those boys and young men? No. I, I couldn't believe it the night I got the phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning, and it was Sam Amaranti, his attorney, that called me. He said, we have John, and he's been arrested. And, and uh, I said, can I talk to him? And he said, yes. And he put him on the phone. I said, John, did you do this? Not very audible, but he said, yeah. I was in shock. I just sat there and didn't know what to do. My husband was standing there by that time just looking at me. And we cried and we hugged and neither of us could believe it because it wasn't the person we knew. He was always good and kind and always taking care of us. I, I still, it, it was just hard. John Wayne Gacy confessed to police and later recanted maintaining that he was innocent until his execution. But he told you he did it. Yes. He told you he did it. I was in the jail with him, visiting him when he was here at Cook County. And uh, when I was in there, there was an article in the paper with many faces of the, the boys. And I asked him, I said, how could you, how could you not know the, these boys, they found these boys under our house, well, it wasn't my house, but my mother's and his. Mm -hmm. I said, how could you not know? And he didn't really answer, and he said, I'm just really not guilty of all of them. And I said, all of them? Does that mean any of them? And he, well, maybe one or two. And I said, then you're guilty of all, because you can't kill one and not be guilty. You're, you're guilty of all. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was angry. I was so angry for what he had done to my family, our children, everything. It was just very upsetting. I, I, I guess at that point, I could have just socked him. Mm -hmm. because of the way he was. It was something I didn't know about him. So when he was a little boy, did he kill animals? No, did he, no. He, all the things that we hear about the no. traits of serial killers? Nothing like that. Hey, we had a couple of dogs. He was good to them, played with them, walked them. Never, never any kind of signs of, of trying to hurt somebody. Do you think that he was trying to hide his homosexuality or, or bisexuality? Well, 
there was a, a time in Iowa that my husband and I, with our oldest daughter, visited. Mm -hmm. And we'd gone out with them. And when we were at this function, he said, now, don't get upset if we don't go home with each other. Sure enough, this other couple that was at our table, the man went home with us, with her, and he went off with the wife. And it was the last time I ever stepped foot in their house again because I said, what in the world is going on here? And I asked him later about it, and he said, well, it's just, it's nothing, it's nothing big. They never knew anything about him with a bisexual or, or sexual with nature other being men. gay. Yeah. Well, what I did you knew. think, and what did the family think when he was first accused and went to jail, was sentenced to 10 years, only served 18 months for sodomy of a 15-year-old boy? Well, he said it was consensual. You know, I guess back then I never even thought too much about it, except later my mom told me that as a child he had been molested. And, you know, I don't want to say that that excuses anything he did, but I never knew that part about it. And I, I don't know if she was trying to make an excuse as to why this happened. Lots of people. If everybody who was molested ended up yeah. killing people and putting them in their crawl space, we wouldn't have a world. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. John Wayne Gacy was pronounced dead at uh, 1258 uh, AM. He got a much easier death than any of his victims. In my opinion, he got an easier death than he deserved. But the important thing is that he paid for his crimes with his life. Leaving the prison and looking back, knowing I'd never see him again was really, really hard. The whole situation was a nightmare. You could hear a lot of the chanting of people that had already gathered at the prison. And I happened to see one of the interviews taking place, and I saw it on the news that night, and it was one of the prosecutors saying that it was the greatest day in the world, and it was really one of the worst days in the world for me. After John's execution, there was no one that ever called me to say, I'm sorry for your loss. Did you spend the last day before he was executed with John Wayne Gacy? I did. What is that like? Or what was that like? You know, it was like he was at peace about it. I had said to him, you know, I said, you'll never walk out of prison, never. And he said, if I have to live in prison for the rest of my life, I'd rather be dead. So when was this picture taken? This was hours before he was transferred. To be executed? Yes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would probably think, looking at that photo, that, you know, how could you be hugging him or whatever. But he was my brother. You know, I didn't ever know the evil part of him. Do you think differently about him now? I don't like that part of him. I hate that part of him. Mm -hmm. And I had always said to my husband and my family that if any appeal ever worked, I'd see to it that he never walked the face of the earth again. Yeah. Did you ever talk to any of the victim's families? No. The attorneys wouldn't allow us to. They said that it's like admitting that he is guilty. Is that one of the things you regret? Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. I understand you just told your boss last week who your brother was. I did. See, the name Gacy has been buried. My sister has passed away a few years ago. Her husband wouldn't even use her maiden name on her death certificate. I've never given my maiden name out. The people, my neighbors, are now, if they watch Oprah, are going to find out who I really am. Mm. After 31 years of living 
in a closet, not being able to talk about John or anybody. And there was a couple of times I haven't even told anybody I had a brother because mm -hmm. I didn't want that part of my life known. I wanted my children to have a normal life, my grandchildren to have a normal life. Mm -hmm. And you can't have that. What's the last thing your brother said to you or you said to him? I told him I loved him. And I told him that I forgave him for the stuff that he, not the crime, I could never forget the crime, but for what we were put through. Wow. Well, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. It's so interesting to hear from people who live through some of the most notorious events of our century. It's even more fascinating to hear what goes on beyond the headlines. These stories give us a glimpse into what it's like to carry on with your life when you're related to some of the most infamous and reviled people in history. Bye, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Have you ever wondered what the stars have to say about your favorite artists and writers? Listen to Stars and Stars with Issa, where I, your host and astrologer, Issa Nakazawa, read and interpret astrological birth charts of luminaries like W. Kamau Bell, Gia Tolentino, and so many more. You'll discover how astrology can unlock fascinating insights about these stars. And who knows, maybe you'll learn a little bit more about yourself. Listen to Stars and Stars with Issa wherever you get your podcasts.